Do you, Baron Frankenstein, take this woman to be your bride? Do you promise to haunt her with old horror movies, toys, and comics? Yes, I want friend. Woman. Friend. And you, Baroness, do you take this man beast to be your lawfully bound husband? Do you promise to endure hours of unimaginable torture as he rambles about monster movies and long-dead actors? Close enough. Then by the power invested in me by Count Alucard, I now pronounce you supermates. supermates. You may bite or kiss the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Supermates, the Husband and Wife Geek Cast. I'm Chris. And I'm Cindy. And we have a special guest today, our son. My name's Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew is a big fan of the movie we're going to talk about today. We're on our third trip through the House of Franklinstein. And uh, so we're going to go back to uh, Universal because uh, Universal movies are like, you know, chips, that, potato chips at Halloween. You can't have just one. So. This is true. So uh, we're going to go with mine and Andrew's personal favorite Universal movie, The Wolfman. The Wolfman was released December 12th, 1941, which December 12th is my birthday, so that's cool. Uh, pretty close to 1941, your actual birthday. <laughs> oh, I think it's a little farther back. Oh, nice, nice. You know, if you think about it, too, that's, uh, what, like five days after Pearl Harbor Day. December 7th, 1941. Mm. So, so there you go. But uh, And the Wolfman actually became Universal's biggest uh, horror star, their favorite uh, monster in the 40s. They had previously made a werewolf film in 1935 called Werewolf of London. Makeup that Jack Pierce developed for that is very similar to what he ended up using on the Wolfman. Uh, actor Henry Hull, who played the lead in the Werewolf of London, did not like his face being covered up with all that fur. He felt like he couldn't emote with it. And so you got the very uh, dialed back appearance that he had. Uh, Rick Baker in some of the commentaries on the Blu-ray and DVD so he looks like uh, the Elvis werewolf. Yeah. Uh, so, and compared to Cheney's Wolfman, he, he kind of does. Another interesting thing about the Wolfman is Werewolf of London, if you watch it, there's a lot of, you're kind of like, wait a minute, where's where's this? And Where's that? And there's a plant that it's involved, and it's not Wolfsbane. And part, the, the reason that is is that the script for the Wolfman is where we get our Wolfman lore. Kurt Siodmak, that was the writer, the screenwriter, he took some elements of of myths of men changing into beasts and and the effects of the moon on people and lunacy and things. And, but a lot of the things he created himself. And he just kind of mixed it up, and he was kind of like the Bram Stoke, what Bram Stoker was for vampires. He created our classic image of a werewolf, so we owe all that to pretty much this movie. You killed the wolf. Well, there's no crime in that, is there? The wolf was Balaam. You think I don't know the difference between a wolf and a man? Balaam became a wolf, and you killed him. A werewolf can be killed only with a silver bullet or a silver knife, or a stick with a silver handle. You're insane. I tell you, I killed a wolf, a plain, ordinary wolf. Take this charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell, pentagram, wolf bane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm going to get out of here. Oh, ever. 
is bitten by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. I'll let my lovely wife do the synopsizing here on this one. Lawrence Talbot returns to his boyhood home of Lanwilly Wells. Oh, that's the name. <laughs> yeah. After nearly nearly twenty years abroad, arriving at Talbot Castle, he is greeted by his father, Sir John. Sir John moves that the two men their rocky relationship after the accidental death of Larry's brother, the heir to the Talbot fortune. Larry utilizes the engineering skills he's learned in the U.S. to help Sir John install a telescope for his amateur astronomy hobby. While testing the lens, Larry spies a beautiful young woman in town. Later that day, Larry makes his way to the antique shop and learns the girl in question is Gwen Conliffe, daughter of the shop owner. Larry is smitten with Gwen and makes advances on her, creepy ones, I might add, <laughs> despite her engagement to another man. Again, more creepy. Frank Andrews. To help smooth things over, Larry buys an antique cane with a silver wolf's head and pentagram, representing the werewolf. Gwen tells Larry of the legends of the werewolf and the associated poem. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Larry manages to secure a date, but later that night is disappointed to find Gwen has invited her friend Jenny along as a third wheel. At least this is the one smart thing she does. The three leave for the gypsy fortune tellers that are camped on the outskirts of the village. There, Jenny receives a palm reading from a gypsy named Bella who is distraught over something he sees in Jenny's hand, a pentagram. Frightened by her possible future, Jenny runs from the camp while an inconsolable Bella struggles with their fate. Frantically running through the woods, Jenny is attacked by a large wolf. Her cries call Larry to the scene. Heroically, Larry enters the fray and manages to kill the beast with his silver cane, only to be bitten himself. When an a gypsy woman named Mel Mel Maliva. Maliva take Larry back to Talbot Castle. At the scene of Jenny's murder, local constable Paul Montfort and physician Dr. Lloyd find the body of Bella the Gypsy, but no book. They assume Larry accidentally killed Bella while attacking the beast. Larry is certain that there was no man there, only the wolf. Larry's wound has miraculously healed, leaving only a faint scar in the shape of a pentagram. A despondent Larry later spies Malvina visiting the coffin of Bella, who she reveals to be her son. He then goes to see Gwen, who, like Larry, has become the subject of scandal in town due to the events of the previous night. When a gypsy carnival comes to town in honor of Vela's death, Larry crosses paths with Melvi Melvia. Maliva. Maliva. Whatever. Melvita. <laughs> who was expecting him. She explains that her son Vela was a werewolf and that having been bitten by him, Larry is now a werewolf as well. She gives Larry a charm to break the spell, which a rattled Larry reluctantly accepts. Maliva spreads word amongst the gypsies that there is a werewolf in their midst, and the camp occupants leave in terror. Larry relates Maliva's tale to Gwen and gives her the charm to protect her, just in case. Returning home to Talbot Castle, Larry succumbs to his curse and is soon stalking the foggy forest of Llewelly as half-man, half-wolf. As the wolfman, he attacks a grave digger named Richardson and murders him. The next morning, a confused Larry finds muddy paw prints leading from the window into his room. Seeking advice from his father and the local authorities, Larry's fears are ignored. Instead, they set traps for a wolf around the village. Stalking another night, the wolfman is caught in one and reverts to Larry as Melavia finds him. Maliva. Maliva. 
I cannot get that. Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> she frees him, and a frantic Larry flees the forest, and the mob hunting him and hunting for his bestial alter ego. He seeks out Gwen and tells her he must leave town. Gwen begs him to take her along. That's smart. But he sees the pentagram in her hand, and she no and knows that she is to be his next victim. <laughs> Seeking sanctuary at home, Larry fully confides in his father, who refuses to believe him, thinking that Maliva <laughs> is influencing his mind. She's not influencing your mind. Mm. To prove he is right, he ties Larry to a chair in his room and leaves to join the hunt for the wolf. Larry begs his father to take his silver cane. Sir John agrees, only to, con only to console his son. The bonds prove no match for the wolfman's savagery, and he is loosed once more. While the hunt is on, Gwen searches for Larry, but instead finds the werewolf, who attacks her as fate predestined. Sir John comes to her aid and beats the man-beast to death with his son, Silver Cane. Before his horrified eyes, the animal he killed changes into the son that he loved. Very good. Except for, you know, Maliva. 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 <laughs> 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 you know, the Land Willy thing, I, I started to put that in the notes and I should have. I don't think in the movie, having watched it again, they mention it. They mention the name or where they're at. I think it's in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Where he's from. Where they mention where he's from because he ends up in a town, like, away from Lanwelly. And he tells them where he's from. And But I, I guess it was in the script or something because all the books and things you read on it says, you know, the story begins in Lanwelly Wells. But it doesn't. Mm. It just says in the opening part, it says a village near Talbot Castle. So. Right. Yeah, the opening, the way the movie opens up is kind of strange. It it looks like a TV show uh, because you get the credits, you get the you know pictures of the actors and uh, and who they play, which is kind of unusual. Andrew pointed out when we were watching it yesterday that Lon Chaney is listed as Lon Chaney, no junior, and he's credited only as the Wolfman and not Larry Talbot, which is kind of strange. Usually it would be Larry Talbot slash. Wolfman. Right, right. But especially since he didn't play the Wolfman in it all that much. True. So you, as, as it starts out, you get the this fantastic score. The Wolfman's probably got the best, most recognizable theme music of all the Universal monsters. Mm -hmm. da, 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 yeah, I mean it's just it's awesome. The movie actually lists Charles Previn as musical supervisor or some title like that. Uh, but according to everything I've read, that uh, the famous Wolfman theme is the work of Hans Salter, who did a lot of work for the Universal horror movies and Universal in general. And then the story opens up with a book, so it gives it kind of like this fairy tale quality. You know, they pull. Yeah, the book. this is not Disney. No, this is not Disney. <laughs> it's not Disney, but it does have a very dreamlike fairy tale quality. The primary set you keep seeing through the movie is the forest, the woods, and I mean it's it's obviously a set, but it kind of it kind of helps it in a way because it's this dreamlike existence that they live in. And it's, it's like Larry has left the real world that we're all accustomed to of the U S and, and went to this, almost this fairy land where these strange creatures can exist. Mm. And you know, there's constant fog and, and trees that look kind of real, but not completely. They're always black and wet. And it's, it's just a really nice, uh, a nice look as, as you get into the movie, you know, we meet Larry 
as he's coming back. And what did you say, Andrew, what it looked like when they were driving in? Looks like they're driving on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were. You know, they're the tall bits. They can do what they want. They own, they, they own everything. Well, you got to remember, I mean, it's, it's just the technology of the time and how they were doing it. Yeah, it's that you know. rear projection stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You ruined the joke. <laughs> it's my job. Mm. So Larry, we meet Larry and and his his father, Sir John. It's it's interesting because they obviously have a strained relationship, and by all accounts, Lon Chaney Jr. had a very strained relationship with his father. Basically, forbade him from from going into acting, which he wanted to do. And some people say it was because he didn't want him to go through what he did, and it was hard. And other people said, well, it's because he didn't want the competition, and you know, who knows, because he, he died pretty young. And, and of course, Lon Chaney was actually Creighton Chaney, and he had to change his name to get any kind of work in Hollywood. He had just made his first monster movie for Universal called Man-Made Monster, which I've never seen that. I need to watch that sometime. And he had, just a year or two before, had played Lenny in Of Mice and Men, where he played the very powerful, lumbering, uh, but sympathetic Lenny. And so that kind of, you know, with between his name... And the role of Lenny, you know, big, big, strong monster guy. You know, I mean, it kind of pigeonholed him. In the well, world. and I mean, I wonder about that. I mean, to me, he played this wonderful character based on a classic novel of Mice and Men. And then by him taking this role in The Wolfman, in his subsequent appearances as The Wolfman, he, I, I don't know if that was Hollywood that did that to him or if that was a choice that he made. But to me... Lon Chaney Jr. seems like a very fine actor who could have done a lot more than this this B-movie horror. I mean, I wonder what was his choice because his portrayal in Of Mice and Men, you can tell that there are depths there of his abilities as an actor that were not utilized as much as they could have been. Yeah, I think think Larry Talbot was his his deepest role. You know, obviously, he, he conveyed a lot of emotions and and you felt for him and and but like the chorus the mummy you didn't feel anything for him right. he was just shambling along you know and he's kicking butt and he's cool but you know he's he, you really care about what happens to larry but yeah that's a good point i mean did holly did he you know well but but you know that's if he had done if he kind of said no nah, i don't want to do the horror stuff would we be talking about him right now or he'd just be another forgotten actor that was big at the time but nobody cares about now mm-hmm. because you know you can go out and buy an action figure now of Lon Chaney Jr. You can buy statues and model kits and masks but you can't buy a mask of some other character actor from the 40s nobody cares you know so how did he feel or has there been more have there been statements that he made how did he feel about being that being his character the wolf man he was very proud of Apparently, he said that was his baby. That was the character that he, that was his. He, he's the only one that played it. And he was very proud of, of that character. That I don't think he cared much for playing the mummy. Uh, and I don't know about the Frankenstein monster. And he played Dracula or Son of Dracula, however you look at it, but in Son of Dracula. You know, he actually had an opinion later, uh, in later in his life, where he said, uh, Adam and Costello meet Frankenstein. He enjoyed making it at the time, but he felt like that they had kind of, that movie and their subsequent meets the monsters movies right. had kind of ruined the, the, the genre. 
So uh, he took it seriously. I mean, he took, I, oh, I guess, yeah, because... I was just his, wondering, you know. And his dad didn't just make horror movies, but that's what we remember him for. I mean, he made tons of other kind of movies. Usually he he was the man of a thousand faces. He disappeared into his roles, but he wasn't just... I mean, really the only... He made three, basically, what you call horror movies, and most people nowadays wouldn't call The Hunchback of Notre Dame a horror movie because it's insensitive right. to call it one. But back then, they, right. you know, more or less called it one because he was grotesque-looking, but... You know, The Phantom of the Opera and then London After Midnight, which is Lost. Those were really the only three that you can really categorize that I know of as a horror movie. But he made a ton of other ones. But those are the ones we remember. So it's kind of coming back to what we talked about before. You right, know, right. You know, like, well, like Burgess Meredith. I mean, he's a great actor. He was in Of Mice and Men. Mm-hmm. But what do we remember him for? The Penguin. I, that and, and grumpy old men. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, that's true, grumpy. And the Twilight Zone. Everybody yeah, thinks about know. time enough at last. But the, it's the out there things yeah, that's that true. you that's remember true. them for. So it's kind of it's kind of a trade off. How'd we get way off on that? I don't know, but that's that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. This is what we do, Andrew. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah. So he. Uh, it's interesting too because you know you look at. You look at Lon Chaney, and you look at Claude Rains. You're like, wait a minute. You know, it's like Where did he come from? Lon Chaney's like fellow? six foot two, and and Claude Rains is like maybe five foot seven. If he, if oh, that. that's generous. That's yeah. generous. And uh, apparently, Kurt Siodmak had a problem with that too, because when he wrote the script originally, Larry was Larry Gill, and he was an American technician hired to work on Sir John's telescope. And of course, the telescope parts kept in there. So they changed it, and they had him be his son that had come back from America, and you know. It, but I think it it works out really well because, despite their differences, because you get the idea that Larry never fit in. Right. And I mean, he didn't look like his dad. He didn't. Although he looked you like know. his brother, because his brother's portrait looked exactly like Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, I thought it was weird. Him. Yeah, yeah. He should have gave him a mustache at least, or, or something. Yeah. But you got that idea that he was kind of. Mis- felt misplaced. Yeah, he felt like he, like kind of like somebody that was born in the wrong family, you know. Right. And when he went to America, he found himself, and that's explains maybe you can say, well, that's why he doesn't have an accent when he comes back. Right. You know, he just. I mean, he lived there for eighteen years yeah, according fully, to the movie. Yeah, so, you I mean, know. he's not at all. He yeah, obviously was sent away when he was very pretty young in his right. teens because he's not that old. Claude Rains, of course, played the Invisible Man for Universal, and and ironically, uh, in the next year. Or maybe it's the year after, he plays Cheney Sr.'s most famous role, The Phantom of the Opera. So it's kind of strange. In a color remake. And it's funny because Sir John, they meet, when he comes in, Paul Montford is there. And he's an old friend of Larry's. And he's the constable of the town now. And uh, he refers to him as Captain Montford, and other people do throughout the movie. But in the credits, he's listed as Colonel Montford. So apparently between the credits and the movie, he was demoted. But I didn't Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, a lot of people remember Ralph Bellamy when he's got older. He's one of the old guys in uh, uh, Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd that make the bet. Oh yeah, he's one of the old the old guys that oh, the, the the old okay. rich guys yeah. in that. Yeah, that's okay. that's him. Yeah. So Andrew doesn't know what we're talking about. That's an eighties movie you haven't seen, probably. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Larry works on a telescope for his dad, and he's he's testing it out and. And he's checking it out in the town. He sees people riding on bicycles and things. And the village looks really, it looks like a nice yeah. English, you know, village or whatever, European village. And then you get, um, 
then he spies Gwen. Well, yeah, and fucking stalker. stalker. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. Freaking peeping Larry. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Andrew, don't ever do this. This is not how to okay. win women. Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. creepy as all. Yeah, it, you know. it is creepy by today's standards. And it's I'm, creepy by the 1941 me. standards. I got to think it's pretty creepy, too. Yeah. And then when he, he goes and visits, you know, he's like, I don't know. He gets dressed up in his suit, puts his jacket on, his tie, puts his nice hat on, and goes and. And, and the way he comes on to her is just like, you know, I like to see some earrings. And, and no, those won't do at all. What about the ones with the half moon and the spangles? And, and yeah. basically, I've been watching you, and I know you have these earrings. It's just. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. I've been digging through your trash, and, and I mean, well, I'm sorry, but what kind of woman would think that's attractive? Yeah, I'm like stranger danger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And of course, she doesn't know who he is yet. He didn't. He doesn't tell what his name is. She doesn't know he's Larry Talbot. So it's not like, oh, okay, he's. Which I don't know if that'd be good or bad, but she right, she has right. no idea who this guy is. But right off the bat, you get that, that Chaney and, and Evelyn Anchors that plays Gwen, they have a really great chemistry together, and, and Universal kept putting them together in, in all sorts of movies. They were in Ghost Frankenstein, they were in some of the, uh, um, the Inner Sanctum movies that Chaney made uh, that were based on the, the old horror radio show, uh, and they just kept putting them together because they, they really worked well together. The weird thing is, is apparently they hated one another. Really? I mean, they just despised one another. He called her... Shankers, and she called him the Mad Ghoul or something like that. I mean, they just really disliked one another, apparently. Well, maybe he spied on her in real life, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh the, the, the theory is, is that Chaney was notorious for a lot of horseplay on the set, pulling pranks, and, and just and, and, and he, he liked to drink. He had a drinking problem. You know? Right. And, and apparently, she that, the only theory going is that that just totally turned her off, all his horseplay and stuff. So, Gwen is the first person that recites the poem to Larry, and we'll... They we'll, really want to drive that home. We'll hear it three times. Yeah, I mean, three, three times. different times by his dad and the gypsy woman, because I apparently can't say her name. Yeah. So. <laughs> Manola. Uh, but, but uh, yeah. It, Metamucil. Metamucil. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, but... Uh, I, on one of the commentary, uh, one of the documentaries on the Blu-ray, the, they mentioned one of the one of the historians mentioned. Sorry, one of the historians mentions that uh, Shakespeare always said, "If you want somebody to remember something, repeat it three times." So right. apparently, Kirksey Odmack thought the same thing. You know, Larry goes and sees Sir John and mentions he you know met Gwen and stuff, and he doesn't seem to mind that Larry's dating the fiance of his employee, Frank Andrews, who's his game. Uh, gamekeeper, yeah, gamekeeper. It's, it's Rich people can do anything, like drive on sidewalks. <laughs> there, you, there you go. There you go. Uh, so he goes and you know meets meets up with Gwen. She's she comes outside waiting for him. Oh yeah, she's waiting. I mean, and he's oh. hiding up in the like little stairwell beside, like creepy. You know. Yeah, well, you know what he's doing. He's like, yeah, she's gonna wait for me. I know it. She's gonna be there for me. Yeah. See, I knew she's gonna be there. Yeah. She's my chump. Yeah, that's well. He's but uh, Cheney plays his disappointment when Jenny comes out of her shop next door really well. It's like, oh, yay, great, third wheel, all right. Uh, hey, that's the one smart thing that Gwen does. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. Not smart for Jenny. It turns out that you know. <laughs> yeah. 
So then we get to the camp and we meet Bela Lugosi, which of course, you know, what more can be said about Bela Lugosi? Bela Lugosi is one of the masters of horror, you know, right. him, and, him and Boris Karloff are the, in my mind, are the founding fathers of, you know, Cheney Sr. and Cheney Jr. too, but, you know, those are the, the two guys everybody goes to, so, and he's, his role in here is pretty brief, but it's, you know, pivotal to the story, and in the few short scenes he's in, you really get the idea that he has lived this tortured existence of a werewolf. I mean, you, you get that, you know, people, you know, always commented that, you know, Bela had a, the language barrier was hard for him. He never learned English like he should have and stuff, but he, you know, he didn't have to just in his, his, his actions and stuff. He conveyed just how awful his life was with this curse. But I'm sorry, but I mean, I know this is in here. Well, I will get to that. Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. What were you going to say? Why on earth? Would he be open for business on a full moon night <laughs> with the wolf bane blooming? And he it's not like it's a surprise that he's a werewolf. He's apparently been this for years. So, to me, I mean, why would Why didn't she you, cage him up? Why didn't Maliva cage him up somewhere, right? Yeah, caging, chaining, what have you. I mean, right. what's up with that? And he knows the wolf's bane is blooming. I'm sure there's not just that one little clump of bushes that's right. blooming. I mean, they saw it. Right. And you know what? Hey... Let's go to a new town and, you know... I don't know anybody there. You know, if you kill somebody, ain't anybody we knew, right? (laughs) You know, if... You know, I heard there's a really good town down the road. They got a really good selection of people. We should take you down there and try it out. You know? (laughs) You know, they've got redheads at this one and brunettes at this one. Why not? They got throats all over the place. (laughs) I mean, really? I mean, seriously, that makes no sense. Well, it's, you know, if you really watch the movie, you never see a full moon in this movie. That's really strange. And I think, and the poem says, when the autumn moon is bright, it doesn't say anything about it being full. Mm. Now, I think in one of the later movies, they, I think it's Frankenstein meets a wolfman, which I didn't rewatch for this. They kind of change the end of the poem. It says it's full and bright. And uh, then you start seeing the moon. So... I don't know if it's, you know, later movies made it to where it's got to be the full moon or it doesn't change. But in this movie, it's almost like it's a seasonal type thing more than than just any time the moon turns full. But, it, you know, they cemented it in the next few movies. Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of just, you know, put lumps them together. But just going by this movie, we don't know for sure if it's when the... Of course, you assume it's bright. It's brightest when it's full, obviously. Right. But, uh, but yeah, still good point. I mean, why not, why, Invite temptation. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to change, you know, and I mean, so yeah, that, that's true. You briefly see, um, his, his pentagram scar on his forehead. He rubs his fingers through his hair and you see it, but as you pointed out, Andrew. Yeah. It disappears. Yeah. Yeah. You see him later in it's. It's not there where it was in that scene. I mean, it's not like it's hidden up in his hairline. It's, you know, right underneath his hairline. You should still be able to see it. And I'm sorry, but if you get the scar where you're bitten, then some wolf at some point beat him on the top of his head? Well, you know. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> All right, Forrest. One thing I really liked was, you know, Jenny, you know, runs out. In a very dramatic moment, which mm-hmm. I used in the trailer. Yes, I'm going. You know, <laughs> go, go quickly. You know, and uh, she runs out, and and uh, 
you know, shows Bela stand up and he's standing outside the camp and he's running his fingers through his hair and he just looks just despondent and the horse standing near him just starts like, you know, backing away. Yeah, I like the the horse kind of telegraph the change. Yeah, you don't see him change, but you can just know he's changing right now. Yeah, but for a split second, they show him standing he's going like this. Almost like his hair is growing out. Yeah, like he's feeling his face and stuff. Yeah, as it's changing. Yeah, that's nice. That's a good point. And uh, then, of course, the part that always puzzles has puzzled fans since 1941. Why is Bela a full wolf? Well, maybe where it bit him on his head, there was more, I don't know. Went straight to his brain? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, if you go by the, the uh, House of Dracula, where it was just pressure on his brain and all that stuff, remember that? That was just, oh, man, whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, that was not, no, no, no. It You know, some people say, well, it's maybe it's because he's been a werewolf longer, and eventually you lose your humanity, you oh, know. I've never thought about that. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Because it says many years, you know, later And his on. hair gets thicker and thicker throughout the movies. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, in and, and the House of House of Frankenstein, he's almost got a ZZ Top-like beard, Larry does. He's got, like, hanging down, you know, he's got kind of jowlies, fingers, Duck Dynasty, you know, or something. Like that vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew saw, Andrew saw an old magazine I got that had... Gary Oldman as Dracula on the cover, and he was making this, you know, he's making a vampire face with the fangs, and he's like, what the crap is this, like Duck Dynasty Dracula or something? Oh, boy. Uh, Count Dynasty. Uh, So the wolf that they actually use is Cheney's pet German Shepherd. Um, He had, I, I don't know what film it was in, but he... He was hanging around the set and Cheney adopted him. He was a big pet lover. And there's actually a really cool promo pic of uh, the dog laying in, I guess, his dressing room or something. And he's laying down and Cheney's like laying on his back, you know, with his, using him as a pillow in full Wolfman makeup. It's, it's a really cool pic. So Maliva pulls up and, and Gwen, they, they catch, you know, uh, Larry has walked away from the attack somewhat. Just a few trees over, when Maliva picks him up, is her son laying there. But, you know, I guess... But apparently, you know, Gwen thought it was okay to walk off into the dark woods with Larry, but she wouldn't walk the streets with him by herself. But in the dark woods, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Yeah, well, that's true. She brought she brought Jenny along, and as soon as she's in the tent, it's like, okay, let's go off together. You know? How did they see? <laughs> Good point. I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's... Yeah, I mean, if it was really that dark I was like, and, and foggy, so I don't know. Um, so then we get, um, you know, they take they take Larry back to the house, and and uh, which kind of makes you wonder if Larry was out of it, how they know where he lived, because they didn't know he was Larry Talbot. It's not part of that. Oh, maybe yeah. he was with it enough to tell him, but, I mean, he wasn't completely out of it. But, yeah. But anyway, and then Maliva quickly leaves as soon as they get there, but then you get, uh, you meet uh, Dr. Lloyd, and see uh, Monfort again, and uh, in addition to being in Trading Places, uh, Ralph Bellamy's a very similar character next year in Ghost of Frankenstein, which has got Cheney as, as the monster, and Lugosi as Igor, and Anchors is in it too, so they're all back together in the movie the next time, which, you know, that's typical for Universal. Dr. Lloyd, who's played by Warren William, and and uh, Monfort uh, become the exposition twins at the murder scene. I give you all the 
the, the you know the well, the throat was ripped out and all this you know all the gory details. all the gory details without showing it. And if you really think about it, it's pretty gruesome. But they didn't you know they got away. They couldn't show anything back then. But it actually works better, right? Right. That you don't see it because sometimes some of the stuff you see in them, you're kind of it, you're almost laughing about it. But if you don't see it, you're like, ooh, you know. What uh, your imagination comes up with many times is more horrific than what actually is. Right. So you know the next morning. The, they come and see Larry, and and his scar is healed up, and and uh, they, you know, it's 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 kind of strange because you would think that they don't they leave his cane, they find his cane at the murder scene, they leave his cane with him. It's the murder weapon. Yeah, I mean the theory is is that Bela and and Larry both came to Jenny's aid, and and he in trying to kill the wolf, Larry accidentally kills Bela. Which, you know, of course makes sense, but still, you'd have to investigate this. Yeah, I mean, it's the murder weapon, and it's not like, you know, a month, two months later or whatever. It's the next day. Oh, here, you can have it back. It's, it's kind of, it's almost, if you, re- like, read between the lines, you kind of wonder, okay, is it Larry's position as Sir John's son that's keeping him from being, like, right. arrested, prosecuted, whatever, at least more closely investigated than he is? I mean, you know, I mean, they pretty much own the town, so... It's a you know it's a bit odd that they get to that he, they let Larry keep it, but why would he want to carry it? I mean, after that, really, right. and why would you want to carry? It? I killed a guy with this last night, but it's pretty damn cool. I think I'll carry it. But you know, why not? That's really good with this jacket, you know. So, uh, so Larry goes and he goes to the uh, cemetery, or, or I guess it's the cathedral. It's a cathedral where they bring uh, Bayla's body in, and he's. You know, hanging back, Maliva comes in. He learns that Maliva is Bela's mother. He uh, hears for the first time. Maliva utters something else. We'll hear three times, which is the the way you walked was thorny speech. You yeah. know, that's the gypsy benediction she gives. You hear that? It's kind of like a bookend to the even, even a man, even a man poem. Yeah, but uh, you know, Larry's you know obviously very feels very guilty over Bela's death. He doesn't understand. He knows he didn't you know attack a he wasn't beaten on a man. He was beaten on a wolf, but he still feels very guilty about it. And yeah, you know, he's so guilty he goes to the carnival the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about the chick, man. <laughs> Her best friend just died, and she's like, "Yay, happiness!" <laughs> so, speaking of such, he goes to see Gwen, and and Jenny's mother and a bunch of old other old biddies come, and and uh, they're given. Uh, Gwen, Gwen's dad, a, a hard time over Gwen, and and uh, you can kind of understand. Larry comes in and it's like, you know, what's gotten into them? Well, let's see. Like uh, one of their daughters was just murdered, and another man murdered under very ser- uh, very strange circumstances. And uh, you know, the guy that potentially did it's out roaming around with the murder weapon. <laughs> well, here's here's my whole thing about that. Okay, this is when we find out. Who she's engaged to be married to. Right. And he's like, well, why are you marrying him? Well, we grew up together. Mm-hmm. Well, she grew up in that town. Mm-hmm. It's Talbot Castle. Is there that much difference between Gwen's age and Larry Talbot's age? Well, but she was a commoner. And Larry was, you know. Still, He yet, would know Monfort because you get the idea that he was from a wealthy family as well, probably, because he went off to the military. But still, it's a village. Yeah. And if you're talking about, and here's another thing. It takes thing. a village to raise a lycanthrope. Let me make my <laughs> okay. point. He and his brother 
were pretty much identical. They, you know, very right. similar in looks as attested to by the picture. To me, she would know what the heir to the Talbot fortune would look like. Mm. Therefore, wouldn't she not know that Larry was related to the Talbots as soon as he walked in? If not, the famed, um, you know, the lost Talbot heir, you know, he went right. away. Wouldn't she know who he was? Yeah, good point. Yeah. I mean, because she said she grew up there. Yeah. Well, that's true. Well, they grew up together. Maybe they both moved there. I don't know. <laughs> no, because that antique shop, it said established blah, blah. It was like a long time ago. Oh, good point. That Conliffe uh, Antiques. Yeah. And people of quality, you know, if it's an antique shop, wouldn't Sir, Sir, Sir John, John Talbot? Well, Sir John said greet when, when they go into the cathedral together for church later. They speak to one another like they know each other. So, good point. Good point. Oh, my gosh. You ruined it again. You're using your mutant powers for evil. <laughs> Sorry. You, you're hanging out with the blob and pyro and <laughs> magneto and all those guys. Sorry, but I'm, I just wanted to bring that up because that was one of the things like, you know, come on. You know, she married yeah. somebody local. You know, the antique shop has been established for a while, so... Right, right. So, at that, speaking of Frank Andrews, him and his dog come in, and the dog just starts barking at Larry. Oh, yeah. And, and he takes the dog outside, and Larry sticks, you know, extends his hand, and he won't shake it. It's just, you know, it's like... Oh, it's just like... Yeah, he says he can't take his eyes off that cane. Well, you know, kind of understand why. He's walking around with a murder weapon. <laughs> <laughs> visiting his woman. Yeah. You know? He's awful. Yeah, he's actually kind of blasé about that. I'd be a little more concerned, especially if some rich dude rolled up and yeah. and, he'd all, and he and he just got involved in some fracas the night before that involved two murders. I'd be like, yeah, he does say, you know, watch him. You know, he's, there's something very tragic about that man, which is, is a nice portent of things to come. But right. it's, it is kind of odd that he's not. I'm kind of surprised that the dog, I mean, if you look at dog behavior and stuff, though. He didn't the come dog, around and stiff his rear. No. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, multiple eye rolling is going on right now. My point is, is that Larry would be the big dog. To me, he would be yeah. the alpha dog. Yeah. Why did the little dog bark at him? Why didn't he just cower to mm. him? Because yeah. in the animal kingdom, that's what would happen. Well, it's a lot of times even a little dog will... You know, a lot of times little dogs think they're bigger than they are, and they'll still bark if they might not get into a fight. But, but it was kind of a nice little. Oh, moment. I know, I know. But I'm just thinking, you know. Yeah, Patrick Knowles, who plays Frank, he'll actually be the scientist in the next movie. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, who sets out to cure Larry, and then gets, as all scientists do in Universal Pictures, gets obsessed with reviving the Frankenstein monster. It's like, <laughs> gee whiz, people, let it go. <laughs> so. A carnival comes to town in honor of Bela's death, which the you know local priest is, just gets can't get over that you're you know celebrating the fact that you're having. And a, every culture celebrates death differently, right? But uh, but anyway, so Larry and Gwen both go to the carnival, but as you guys said, why? Why would either one of them want yeah, to go? Yeah, you know. I mean, uh, and you know, and, and here's Larry again, not to harp on this, but he's walking around. With the murder weapon, you know, it's like he's the founder of the feast and... With all the gypsies. With all the gypsies, you know, you know it's a wonder they didn't, like, you know, gang up on him or something, you know. Well, and that's another thing, you know, all of these gypsies come in, but you get the idea that Bela and his mother had been traveling 
alone for right. a long time. Right. Because to me, they were very selfish. They didn't want their fellow gypsies in danger from Bala. But hey, let's go to this town and this town and this town. Let's murder everybody. Come on. <laughs> you know, who cares about these re- regu- you know, regular European people? They're not gypsies. We'll kill them. Right. Yeah, good be. Larry meets up with, with uh, Gwen and Frank and they uh, end up playing a target game and you know, Larry's doing pretty well hitting the targets as he pop up and a wolf pops up with some very a creepy music sting yeah. when it pops up and you know, he's just he can't he he freezes and, and Frank's like, Go ahead and hit it before he shoot it before he bites you. It's pretty insensitive considering he was just bitten by a wolf, wolf. last yeah. night. <laughs> Well, and here's another thing. Larry was out of it, and then this is backtracking a little bit, okay. but Larry was out of it when he was brought in, and they took him up, let's put him to bed. Yeah. Wouldn't whoever undressed him, whether it was the butler or his dad or whatever, and got him into his pajamas, yeah. have seen the bite mark and could have attested to the bite mark? Mm. I have something to say that was even farther back. When Bela died, wouldn't he have came back because Larry had, dies in this movie then comes back again in the next? Mm. I forgot about it. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, that's... And and one thing, that's true. Because in in Frankenstein Meets a Wolfman, we see that Larry is buried with Wolfsbane on his, in his coffin. And the grave robbers come in. And they're, you know, they, they figure the Talbot, you know, tomb is... Crypt is a good place to get some jewelry and things to sell because they're rich. And uh, they make the mistake of opening Larry's crypt on the night of a full moon, and they remove the wolf's bane, and he comes back to life. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Why didn't Bela come back to life? But maybe, I mean, we talked about this. I This is the way to explain it in my head. I think you don't see it, but when Melvina comes to, what, well, I can't say, <laughs> the gypsy woman comes to see Bela. In the crypt, and he's in the coffin. When you see her open up the lid, yeah, it's my theory that she put Wolf's mane, or it was in already the in there. Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be. And here's another thing we didn't bring up, and and this we'll definitely discuss this momentarily. But Bela, they make this big point when Bela's body's laying there. He didn't have any shoes on. Well, why didn't he have any shoes on? Well, he probably rushed out there before he had a chance to put them on. Oh, okay. So he turned fully into a wolf, but. When he turned back, his clothes magically appeared. Don't <laughs> think about Larry. Well, we'll get into that. Okay, sorry. We'll get it, we'll get into that in just a minute. And he turned into a wolf immediately after speaking with Jenny. So was he barefoot when he was doing the um, palm reading with her? I don't know. Maybe he was going to have her read his foot feet. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so there was a scene. There was a scene during the carnival part that was cut from the movie. Okay. Where Larry wrestles a bear. They coax him into wrestling a bear. There's actually a photo of it in the uh, Universal Monsters book by Michael Malloy. Mallory, sorry, Michael Mallory. They coax him into wrestling a bear, and apparently his bestial side takes over, and he you know, almost pummels the bear to death. Mm. And I guess it was thought that that made Larry far too unsympathetic because he was beating up on this bear, so they, they took it out. But they, I don't know if the footage, it probably doesn't exist, but there right. is a photo from it. Apparently, there was a big press, you know, it was a, you know, they put it in variety and things, you know, Long Cheney's Jr. fights a bear, you know, and it's for, mm. as we're making the wolf man, you know. But it, it, you know, just like, you know, we go to the movies nowadays and like see a scene in a trailer that's not in a movie. So right. there you go. 
then uh, when Larry is, you know, he, he's trying to leave the camp and Maliva tells him to come in and she's been waiting on him. She goes through the whole deal, tells him the story of Bela and that he was bitten. And and uh, he seems, Chaney really, really gets across that he is just rattled and confused. And I mean, it's like, what? You know, just like, the, I mean, you just really get the impression that he's somebody has just laid this on you. And like you right. would react, you know, and it's like, if I, of course, he gives, she gives Larry a charm and says that this will protect you. And he gives it to, to Gwen. So why, why didn't Bela have a charm like yeah. this? And would it not work after a certain point? I mean, maybe it's if you, if you check, maybe if you change, if you go through the change one time, it won't work, you know, if, or something like that. Why do you put it on the, well, the victims that would soon come, like, to protect them? Like, why didn't Bela give one to Jenny? Yeah. Yeah, good point. He should just have them, like, <laughs> hand yeah, them out. Yeah, It's like, you'll get a free charm with every fortune telling, you know. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no. We're picking this apart, but we love it. We're, oh you know, yeah, we, 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 are. we really we, do. We're we just—I mean, epic. just there's, there's, you know, we got to talk about it. But these are the type of things that that we like to talk about. When we get, you know, Larry goes back to the house, to the castle. You know, he goes in, he takes off his jacket, takes off his shirt, and he's looking at himself in the mirror. He's got a, you know, he's got his wife beater on, and and he looks, he he notices something about his feet. Takes his shoes and socks off, and his, you know, feet are hairy. And, uh, he's very, you know, it's very just forlorn and, and then it, you know, just closes in on his feet and his, his feet change. That's how we see the Wolfman change for the first time. We don't see him. Anything else. It's uh, just his feet. It's really strange considering how classic his transformations are that you don't see it. In fact, we don't see his face in the transformation until the end and it's in reverse. So it's kind of strange to think because like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. There's a really great part in there, but. Oh. oh, well, I just think it's funny, you know, when he gets up and goes to walk, you know, he's the wolf man. It looks like he's pulling his pants up, like, oh, I have to get through the water. <laughs> I uh, mean, you know, it, it looks like somebody, you know, if they're crossing a creek yeah, it, or whatever. Yeah, it did kind of look like he's pulling his pants. It's like, let, pay attention to these expensive fur, you know, feet I've had made, especially, man, I do like how he walks up on the, the, the balls, of, the his balls feet. of his feet like a wolf does. Andrew, here's your favorite part. Go for it. The co- the, the clothes change. Oh yeah, the clothes doesn't make sense. And where he's walking to, that's where the window is. Yeah. If you the, the window's right there and it's changing things over there, the closet is mm-hmm. on the other side of the room. And he starts walking this way. Yeah, but what you know, he's got a wife beater on <sighs> and a pair of like uh, linen trousers. Linen trousers. And then when we see the Wolfman for the first time, he's in. I don't know. We don't a know. A long sleeve shirt, shirt and a dark pair of pants. Pants with a belt. With a with belt. belt. That's what I <laughs> And his shirt's buttoned up all the way, too. Yeah, yeah. And his so, arms. So after he changes into this ferocious beast who can't talk and doesn't seem to be able to think beyond just attacking things. He, he has lots of dexterity. He went through his closet and... Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's always been, you know, a real puzzler there. How he managed to, you know, if they just shown him, he just had the dark shirt and the dark pants on, took the tie off before he changed. 
made perfect sense. sense. Yeah. But it's like somebody, you know, the whoever was the continuity person on the set should have caught that. Should have definitely caught that. So now uh, the Wolfman's loose, you know, and you get to see the the makeup that Jack Pierce created uh, for the first time. And in my opinion, it's one of the best makeups in Hollywood history because it obscures who the Wolfman is. I mean, you can't say, oh, that's Lon Chaney Jr. there. No, no. But he can still emote. I mean, he still has enough humanity to him that he can act. And, and also to me... You know, if a guy turns into a big giant dog, I mean, that who cares? He's a big giant dog now. But if he still somewhat looks like a man, then you care about it more to me. And it's more disturbing to me. The scene, uh, you know, you, of course, you're back in the foggy forest that, you know, George Wagner, the director, has done a really good job of, like we said, creating this atmosphere. When he attacks Richardson, the grave digger, it's, it's just a really, it's, it's one of the more eerie scenes in the Universal movies. I mean, it's just... It, it sets the whole atmosphere. It's just, you know... Right. And I mean, he literally looks like he goes for a throat, too, which is kind of... It, they, they actually show that. I mean, they obviously don't show anything, but you can see him turn his head toward his throat, which is something you wouldn't necessarily think they could do. The next day, when, you know, Larry wakes up in his bed, he's still got his Wolfman clothes on, which is good, so he didn't... The Wolfman didn't come in and, you know, put on pajamas or... <laughs> yeah, yeah. at least there's that. Wakes Coke. up in his footy pajamas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think his claws might poke through. <laughs> he goes down and makes himself a midnight snack. Or gets and he already had one. Yeah, he already had one. He already had one. So he wakes up, you know, and he's, he cleans off his, you know, the muddy tracks are coming into his room and, and everything. He's frantic to clean it up. And, and we finally, finally do get to see the scar on his chest. And, you know, they kept, we've, they kept showing that he would open his shirt, but you never see it. Mm-hmm. And I, I always wonder, is that, was that for dramatic effect or was the, Scar, like, not there until after he became the, the Wolfman. The first time. The first yeah. time he became the Wolfman. So, who knows? He tries to talk to his father and ask him about werewolves and things. And, you know, his dad's just, like, you know, putting him off again. It's superstitious nonsense and this and that. And they go into town to church. And when the town turns around to see him, you know, they all turn around and look at him. I mean, I thought... Uh, you know, that, that symbolized how ostracized he was, but it also makes you wonder, you know, is it kind of also symbolizing the fact that he is, you know, of an evil sort now? Can he oh, not yeah. enter the church in a way, you know? Right, right. And so he turns That's around and leaves. He turns around and leaves like, a, you know, is he going to burst into flames if he, if he walks all the way in or, you know, kind of like a vampire or something? You know, and, and Larry talks to, uh, you know, he talks later when they're talking about what to do about the the wolf and, and, you know, Larry's, you know, asking a lot of questions of, of Lloyd and, and, and his father and Munford. And he actually says, it's not a, it's not a wolf. It's a werewolf. And they basically scoff at him. And Dr. Lloyd's like, you know, you need to get him out of this. You need to get him out of here, get him out of this village. And, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't necessarily believe that Larry's a werewolf, but he believes that there's something wrong with it. Right. And his dad's just like, Oh, rubbish. And, you know, and his pride he gonna, doesn't want to admit there's anything wrong. Wrong with his son, yeah, and it's 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 going to end up being his undoing, which is, just makes it even more tragic the way it ends. Later on, you know, the Wolfman goes back out and and he gets caught in a in a trap and like a bear trap, and you know it's it's interesting because in later movies he seemed a lot stronger, like something like that wouldn't hurt him. Maybe maybe, maybe it was made of silver, you know. I don't, <laughs> and then it looks like he's crying because his quivering lip. Yeah, when he's, he's like laying there, kind of passed out, he. 
he was kind of like a you know when your dog's asleep and it's chasing rabbits or something and it's sleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> so kind of yeah. looked like he kind of had a going on. Yeah, and then you know Maliva comes and, and and sets him free, and he runs off to tell Gwen he's leaving. And and boy, man, she she sure fell fast for Larry because she was she was ready to take off with him. You know, despite the fact she's got a murder rap. And, uh, and he's a stalker. And he's a stalker, yeah. and there's other suspicious things about him, and and you know their their chemistry's strong, but jeez, I mean, you know. But by the same token, she was, you know, she's like, okay, she was stuck in this provincial, you know, village, and you know, he's the guy that was her age that was available to marry. Right, right. So, and then you've got Frank Andrews, the yeah. dashing lord of the manor's son, and you know, right. It's it's like a romance novel, so. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, but 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 uh, Frank Andrews, he must be one lame boyfriend. That's he must all. not be a good kisser at all. Yeah, something. You know, and and then th- it, this kind of part always kind of puzzled me that the timeline here because then you go back to the castle, and Larry's actually dressed up really nice after he's been in his Wolfman clothes running around. You know, going to see Gwen. Got a nice suit. And he got a nice jacket and tie on and. He's telling his dad, "I got to get out of here." So I, maybe he was getting dressed up to leave. If they'd shown some suitcases or something, right, right, might have made a little bit more sense. And then Sir John's like, "Oh, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to deal with this." And and uh, it it uh, it sounds like it was the same night, but I'm just because he said, you know, they they didn't catch anything in the traps, so now they're going to go out and hunt. But uh, you know, he he mentions Maliva, and then Sir John's like, "Ah, oh, now I got it. You know, you're getting all this from her." and he he says, you know, I will, we'll solve this tonight. And he, he secures him to a chair in his room. And, and you know, Larry's like, aren't you going to stay? And he's like, oh, no, i got to help these guys. They, you know, they're, they're, they're in trouble and they need help. It's, it's a really nice scene where uh, Larry actually calls Sir John dad. Yeah. Get fast to the chair. All the windows are locked. I bolt the door so that nothing can get in or out. Now you will see that this evil thing you've conjured up is only in your mind. Sir John. Yes? Captain Munford and the men are waiting for you and Master Larry. I'm coming. But you're going to stay with me, aren't you? Oh, no, I've got to go, Larry. These people have a problem. You must make your own fight. But we'll settle this thing tonight. Dad. What is it? Take the cane with you. What do I want with a cane? Please. Just take it with you, please. All right. And it's a really nice scene when Larry calls Sir John dad and not father when he begs him to take the cane. And, you know, it shows how desperate and heartfelt it is. The veneer of the the Lord and the oh, yeah. son is gone there. He calls, calls him dad. That's the only time he calls him dad. When we see Sir John out at the the hunting stand that they've got set up out in the woods, he he mentions that you know did you give Larry the sleeping pill? No, that was never mentioned before. It, it makes me think there might be a deleted scene, scene somewhere yeah. where he's you know, I mean probably not much of a scene, but it it does point to something they didn't talk about before. Uh, and then you know Sir John bumps into Maliva out in the out in the woods, and that's a very well played scene between. Uh, uh, Mar- I can't. You're talking about Maliva. The, we never mentioned the actress's name, Maria Upinskaya. I think's how you say her name. <laughs> I have no. I, I probably just murdered that. But uh, her and Claude Rains have a good scene there because you've got the two parents of the werewolves, you right. know, and then 
and the you know the influences on the two werewolves in the story, and then you've got the old world superstition meeting the you know logical science scientific mind. Right. It's right, a, it's right. a nice little exchange there, and uh, you know she points out that Sir John's having doubts, but you know by then it's it's too late. When when Cheney, uh, as the Wolfman, attacks. Gwen, Evelyn Anchors, man, he really shakes the crud out of her when he gets a hold of her. Oh, I man. mean, he's jostling her around. Maybe, maybe that's why she didn't like him. Yeah. <laughs> woo. When uh, Sir John comes up on the you know Wolfman attacking uh, Gwen and the shots of him just wailing on him with the cane, I mean, he's he's really conveying that he's desperate to to you know beat this thing to death. This beast, yeah. Yeah. And uh, then, of course. We get the classic transformation at the end. We finally get to see it. You know, the, the makeup comes off and, you know, it's, it's a slow dissolve like they do. And, and uh, the, the only unfortunate thing is, is they leave like a, the, the top wig on an otherwise normal Larry. And it looks like he's got like a porcupine afro going on or something. <laughs> that's, that's always kind of bothering me. You would think there would be at least some marks where they would turn his head where he was beating him in the head with a... Cane. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. I don't think they could show that back then. But they just like showed his whole face. He's like, oh, I you think they'd obscure his head so they yeah. so they couldn't because they couldn't show it, but it needs to be there. So yeah, that's a good point. And then Colonel Mumford says something, you know, like to like of well, you know, Larry obviously, you know, Larry uh, came to, to the wolf tried to attack the chick, and then Larry came, came to, to save her. Yeah. So did he really? Did he really believe that? Or do you think he just stated it out loud? This is the story. This, this is, we're going to put it out. This is what happened. This is the official version. because I think it's sad. Because you got to think that Gwen knew, because Larry confessed to her he was a werewolf. Right. right. And, and then you got, and obviously they know that's not a wolf. that it, She knows that's not a wolf that attacked her. Mm-hmm. This is a man wolf, you know. And then Dr. Lloyd's probably got a pretty good idea. And obviously Sir John knows. So I've always kind of wondered about that. Uh, and you always wonder what happens to Gwen after this. You don't know. Find out what happened to Gwen. You find out in the, the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman that apparently Sir John died shortly thereafter. Like grieved himself to death from from what he you know what he did. What he knew. What he yeah. knew and what he did because he was buried in the same crypt that Larry was. And spoiler C- alert, by the way. Yeah, spoiler alert. And Siad Mac's original script, it was quite different. It was uh, it was called Destiny. It was written in a way that. You never really knew if Larry was turning into a werewolf or not. It was like left up to you. What was he really a werewolf, or was it in his mind? The only time you were going to see the makeup was at one time when Larry looked in like a a pond or some mm-hmm. body of water, and it's always reflection. That's the only time you're going to see the werewolf, and you can kind of see that still in the movie because the way they question it and they go back and forth about the well, a man could believe he was a wolf and. Right. You know, there's a lot of that still in there, and but thank goodness that less cool heads prevailed, and they gave us a cool monster movie. You know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and as we mentioned, despite the, the the ending, the Wolfman obviously came back as we Frankenstein meets Wolfman being the first. But Cheney played him in House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And as you follow those, as you follow those movies, and each one. Larry either he wants he wants he'd like to be cured, but he more just wants he just wants to die. He wants to he can't live with the fact that he's going around killing people. And there's different he goes to different doctors for you know to to help him assisted suicide and or cure. And uh, you know House of Dracula 
actually ends with him cured, which is kind of neat. But then in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, he's, he's back at it. And, you know, he's, it's like it didn't take or, you know, some people don't count that because it's Abbott and, Costello. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. But <clears throat> there is a book that I'd like to have and I've, I've never I've never read it. And it's out of print. It's called The Return of the Wolfman. It's by Jeff Rovin, who was a comic book editor and writer. And it actually picks up right at the end of, of Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein where he leaps out the window with Dracula and bat form and they go into the ocean and it picks up from there. And, uh, you know, it ties all the movies together. It mentions why the different cures and different deaths didn't take oh, for Larry. Okay. I really need to get a hold of that read. I heard it's really good. There's, there's a few follow-up books that are not well-liked, but that one is. So, uh, you know. It's, is it considered canon? Well, as much as anything's considered canon, right. I mean, uh, they haven't really done anything. You know, now they've got this new, this new plan to launch the Universal Monsters in a Marvel-style fashion where they're in a shared universe. Oh, gotcha. And it's going to start with a new Mummy movie, apparently, and go from there. And, you know, of course, they did the remake a few years ago, but I'm guessing they're going to start all over again. It's not going to include that. And the remake's actually not bad. Uh, I, it still feels like it should have been... Better than it was because of who all was involved. Joe Johnston was the director, and uh, you know you had Benicio del Toro and Anthony Hopkins and and Hugo Weaving, and he had a really and it's still a good movie. But some of the changes they made, I I, I think they it was kind of the whole everybody wants to out twist the last movie. Yeah. And the twist you saw it telegraphed. We're not going to spoil it, but you saw it telegraphed from miles away, and and I think it you lost some of what's in this movie. By doing what they did in that movie, mm -hmm. it, it lost some of the the pathos and and I and I mean it's it is a good movie and and I like the, the design of the Wolfman was good, but uh, you can't beat this one. So if you haven't seen this one in a while, you know it's out there. Go watch it. And uh, we're going to take a break and we come back. We'll uh, visit a comic that's got a uh, a few ties to this movie. So listen to this trailer and we'll be back. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Okay, we're back. And this time we're going to be talking about Marvel Team-Up number 12 from August 1973. Story is titled Wolf at Bay, released May 29th, 1973, courtesy of Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Covered by Gil Kane and John Romita, Lynn Ween, scripter, Ross Andrew and Don Perlin, artist, Jerry Conway, plot, C. <laughs> Jeter, letterer, Lennis Ween, colorist, and Roy Thomas was the editor. Having left New York behind to take his mind off of the recent death of his girlfriend Gwen Stacy, Spider-Man swings along the spires of the Golden Gate Bridge, 
Seconds after his spider sense warns him of danger, he is attacked by a ferocious werewolf. As the two combatants fall from high atop the bridge, Spider recalls how he came to the city by the bay. As part-time Daily Bugle photographer Peter Parker, he secured an assignment to take photos of Daredevil and the Black Widow in San Francisco for an upcoming article. Spidey takes a break from his recap just in time to make a trampoline to break his and his furry opponent's fall. They continue their tussle on the roadway below, but the werewolf seemingly plummets to his doom in the bay. As he looks into the water for any signs of life, a strange face appears in a mist behind our hero. A face that is none too happy. Pondering why he was greeted by such a strange welcoming committee, Spidey, as Peter Parker, stops in a diner for a late night meal. There he finds the staff and customers in some sort of strange trance. His otherwise mindless waitress screams in fear as the werewolf bursts in once again and attacks the wall crawler. No one else in the restaurant seems to take notice of the bizarre display in front of them, and the fight spills out into the streets where a fast-moving Parker tricks his opponent into using his head as a battering ram on a parked car. His fuzzy foe unconscious, Parker changes into Spider-Man but notices all the occupants of the diner leaving in a mindless haze. As the sun rises, his lupine adversary changes into the form of a normal man, and Spidey deduces he may be able to clue him in on the strange goings-on. The man relates his name is Jack, who withholds his surname of Russell, and that he, his sister, and his best friend were visiting Frisco while Jack recuperated from his latest trials as a lycanthrope. On a lark, they attend a show by Moondark the Magician, who quickly was as the entire audience in some sort of trance. Jack wakes up in Moondark's dressing room, and somehow the magician is able to affect the change from man to wolf, despite the absence of a full moon. Calling forth mystic mists, that's hard to say, he sees Spider-Man in the city nearby, and sends the werewolf through a portal to stop him, which is where our story began. With Jack's help, Spidey finds Moondark's theater, but the magician manages to change Jack once again, and the tussle begins anew. As his sister Lisa and friend Buck stand in trance, the two combatants fight on, with Spidey somehow surmising that Jack's presence in San Francisco gave Moondark his mighty powers. If he can get the werewolf out of town, Moondark's spell will be broken. Things don't go quite according to plan, and instead the webslinger kicks Moondark through his own transportation mists, and they both disappear from the theater. The werewolf changes back to Jack Russell, and his sister and friend awaken from their spell, leaving Jack to wonder just where Spidey and Moondark disappeared to. We find Spider-Man back where the story began, barely hanging onto the Golden Gate Bridge, as he looks into the bay where Moondark fell, apparently to his doom. Our hero leaves to find his clothes, his camera, and to continue the assignment he was sent to complete, as tiny bubbles surface in the waters below. Oh my flipping goodness. <laughs> I mean, this is just plot hole, plot hole, plot hole, plot hole. I mean, what on earth? I mean... The one goodness. thing that I hate is moon dark. It's like more like moon dork. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just stupid. Yeah, this, this one I think trumps the Superman story. Maybe. Uh, possibly. Yeah, we the Andrew wasn't on that one, but but yeah, the Superman story, and and I and I hate to say it, but Lynn Wein was involved in that one too. And I normally love Lynn Wein stuff and Jerry Conway stuff, but whoo, 
But, you know, to start out, you know, the cover, well, now we read this from the Marvel Essential uh, volume, uh, Marvel Team Up Volume 1, but, you know, we looked the cover up online, so we saw it in color. But the cover's nice, you know, the werewolf looks good and angry. Yeah. It works despite not seeing Spidey's face, it's, you know, because his costume's so distinctive, we all know it's Spidey. And Gil Crank came, you know, drew almost every cover in the 70s for Marvel, it seemed. And most are pretty awesome, you know, especially when Ramita's ink inking him, so... You know, the opening's fine. It, it makes sense. Spidey's, you know, wanting to leave town after what happened with Gwen and, and the Goblin. And this issue... Yeah, he calls her Gwendy, though. It, I mean, he's supposed to be... Yeah, Gwendy. Groovy. She's dead. And Gobby. <laughs> and Gobby. I mean, you know... I mean... These people just died, and he's like, Yeah, Gwendy and Gobby. Groove on, Groovsters. <laughs> he's turned into a hippie. It was the 70s. You know, that's... Yeah. that's a, uh, this issue came out only a month after the second part of that story where the goblin died. Which uh, is my point. So the werewolf attacks Spidey, and he actually calls him a refugee from a Larry Talbot film festival. <laughs> See? Perfect comic to discuss. Perfect tie-in. Perfect tie-in. So <laughs> what I think's hilarious is, you know, the werewolf knocks Spidey off the top of one of these spires on the bridge. Right. He has this lengthy flashback. This very detailed flashback where he goes into Jonah's office and he's like, you know, I, I need an assignment. And, you know, Jonah's like, oh, you know, I'm not sending you in. I know your girlfriend just died, Parker, but I'm not going to blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. And, and, you know, Robbie comes up and says, hey, Black Widow and, and Daredevil are in San Francisco, and, and which they had moved to San Francisco. They were, they had a, the book was Daredevil and the Black Widow for a while. They were a couple, which is kind of weird. It was? Daredevil and the Black Widow. Yeah, that's an odd combo, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, Marvel was into that back then. You had, you know, Daredevil and the Black Widow, and you had Captain America and the Falcon. Of course, they weren't the same kind of couple. But, you know. <laughs> but they... <laughs> they weren't a couple. They were, oh, you know, okay. I mean. Yeah. But the book, the book was called Captain America and the Falcon during that time. And and why is why on earth did this story appear in Marvel Team-Up? There is no teaming up. This is a random thing. It's, it's, yeah, it's, well, they couldn't call it Spider-Man v. Werewolf by Night, you know. <laughs> v. Ugh, don't even get me started. Uh, but he has this huge flashback as he's fallen. I know that's a tall <laughs> bridge, but, I mean, how quick did he is this is Well, you know, in defense, a lot of people say, you know, as you're dying, your life flashes before your eyes. If that's the... Peter's had a really uneventful life. That's what flashes for him. And we know, and we know better. But anyway, uh, you know, Ross Andrews' art is is fine. It, it does a job. It does. It's not a huge standout, but it you know it's dynamic enough. And and he always had this really kind of strange. I've never really heard anybody describe it this way, but I've always thought everybody's like at a three quarter angle. There's like it's like they're not straight on or not sideways. They're always like twisted. And it's like they're doing some weird dance moves when yeah. they're in action. I, I do the twist. Yeah, it's I, I don't know how to describe it. Somebody said he had he had actually had vision problems, like he had oh, one eye weaker yeah. than the other, so that might have something to do with, do it. with it. Yeah, but it, it it gave him a distinctive style, and I always liked his stuff. But uh, Don Perlin was the anchor, and I really liked the way he uh, on the close-ups of the werewolf, the fur and stuff. He really looked furry, you know. I mean, it it, it was real lush and. Instead, he actually became the artist of the Werewolf by Night comic uh, later on. It's 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 really strange. I know Spidey has encountered some weird crap in his years as a superhero, 
but he seems rather just kind of blasé about well, the it's fact. A werewolf. It's a it's a creature of myth, but hey, you know it's real, big deal. Yeah, most of his, you know, even Morbius was a living vampire. He was a scientific vampire. Right. He wasn't supernatural. So you know he hasn't ran into supernatural stuff other than a few encounters with Doctor Strange at this point that I know of, and. It wasn't until next month in Amazing Spider-Man that he meets the Man-Wolf, which is John Jameson. Right. Uh, so he shouldn't, you know, be used to meeting lycanthropes. <laughs> but yet he is. So minor nitpick department, as or as There's the, at least one. the Leylands would say, continuity and nitpicks, but we won't rip them off. Oh, crap, I just did. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Peter, Peter says, when he goes in the diner, before he goes, he says, I need a cup of hot chocolate. When he gets in there, he orders a cheeseburger on rye, well done, on the grill, and a glass of milk. So, where's the hot chocolate? Well, you know, oh my gosh, Dad. <laughs> hey, if we're going to pick it apart, we got to pick it apart. Uh, now, here's the thing that you hear, especially in 70s stories, and a lot of Jerry Conway stories, and it bring up the Leylands again, they just covered the, the original clone saga. Spider-Man's... Peter Spider-Sense does not go off in the diner when the werewolf attacks him. It did on the bridge. Why didn't it go off in the diner? That's you know, true. I mean, and, and it, you know, it, it, it works when they want it to and not when they right, don't want it to. Right. Plot device. The costume turns it on. Maybe, maybe it's what it is. Mm. Doesn't have its... And he didn't do the whole, you know, half Peter, half Spidey thing. So that's, you know... Maybe that's what it was. I hope the werewolf's smarter in his own book because he falls for that I'm going to swing out of his way trick twice. Right. You know, and he first he jumps off the bridge and then he, he slams his head on the car. So then, <laughs> you know, Spidey sees all these. He goes up to the rooftop so he can change and looks down. All the people are leaving the diner. And he comes back down and the werewolf's changing and he introduces himself and we find out that, yes, this werewolf's name is Jack Russell. <laughs> Like a dog. Yeah, like a Jack Russell Terrier. I, th I think someone later uh, said it was an America Americanized version of his Romanian name, which was Rusoff. But still, the dog man is named Jack Russell. So they actually did do something with this character later, right? Yeah, he had his own book. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there was a book called When, when Marvel, and, and maybe I should have said that, when Marvel, uh, you know, the comics code uh, got changed, they could have vampires, werewolves, and... And, and other horror characters that were verboten before. They launched Tomb of Dracula. Uh, they had Werewolf by Night in a feature in like Marvel Spotlight. And then his book actually ran not as long as Tomb of Dracula, but he was the second longest monster. The fad kind of died out. There was a Spider-Man show, and he was on one of those. It's the one where he looks like he's wearing the 29 suit. Mm. The one, he was on that one. And his oh, name really? was Jack Russell. That just like popped in my head. Well, wasn't were, he on the the recent the Ultimate Spider Man where they had the they fought Dracula when Werewolf by Night when they were Werewolf? Yes, that, and yeah, it was he, Austin Moon, um, Ross Lynch. Oh, really? He yeah. was Austin Moon. Austin <laughs> was Werewolf by oh. Night. <laughs> <laughs> like from Austin and Alley. Yeah, that oh. was Ross Lynch. That's the guy. I never did get to watch that when Dracula looking like an albino. Uh, he looked like Elric. It, it, it threw me off. He didn't look like the Tomb of Dracula, Dracula. So I'm like, ah. So that's, I didn't watch it. But maybe I should. They'll probably show it again this Halloween. So. It was good. Yeah, good. It just looked really wrong. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, Jack Russell, 
is the name for a werewolf. I don't even think Stan Lee would do that. No. Stan had kind of been kicked upstairs by that point. So, so Jack's sister and friend are mentioned. They're not given names until the end of the book, which is kind of like, we don't know these characters. We don't read this book. Could you tell us their names? <laughs> yeah. So we care. You know. I mean, they spend all this exposition time as he's getting attacked at the beginning of the book. You know, one or two sentences about who he's traveling with went to her. Right. So we see Moon Dark, or Moon Dork as Andrew calls him. Exactly. He looks to me like the love child of Alice Cooper and Doug Henning. But that's just me. Which he one? just looks horrible. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, you know, we get to the, 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 there's not a whole lot to say about the fact that, you know, he's like, oh, I know where, I know where I got hypnotized. I can, I can take you there. And he takes him back to the, to the uh, theater and, and he, you know, turns moon dark, turns him back into a werewolf and they start fighting again. And then Spidey makes this colossal leap in logic and thinking that Jack being in town gave moon dark his powers. I mean, what? what? That doesn't even make sense. Uh In the flashback, moon dark says something about. Jack's presence is going to change the world, but but that's it. I mean, why would you know proximity to a werewolf give you powers like that? Even I know we're talking Even the time, the the oh the teleportation and all that. Yeah, so. and, and and you know, and and why was he hypnotizing people? He made them go to work and go eat at a diner. I mean, they weren't like looting banks or you know attacking the police or. You know, trying to take over a military installation or anything? Well, maybe he was just, if he could hypnotize people, he would have control of their... Because when Spider-Man came, maybe they weren't hypnotized before, and now they were, so they could fool Spider-Man into coming in there. Hmm, I don't know. It makes as much sense as anything. You know, Spidey kicks kicks Moondark through the portal, and instantly the spell's broken. Okay, he went through the through the portal and ended up where the story began. Where the werewolf was, who was under his influence. So how did that break the spell? He, I mean, because uh, obviously he should be able to travel through his own magic. Well, maybe right. if he knocked himself out, gave it, like, a break through the magic. Because maybe it was controlled by mind power. Maybe if he was unconscious, yeah, it might have, I guess. But, you know, you can't assume that he was still conscious while he was... Fallen and and as he fell into the water, if it didn't, and it looked like it didn't kill him. I don't know if this guy ever come back. I hope he didn't. I didn't bother looking it up because I was just hoping he didn't. So <laughs> there's that. I got an old web. I hope of, you die. I, yeah, I got an old web of Spider-Man annual that which I got it sitting here. Which one is this? Web of Spider-Man annual uh, number three from 1987. That's got like it's just like almost like a Spider-Man fact file. Lots of things. It's got a. You know, whatever happened to Gallery, a gallery of Spider-Man's forgotten foes, and old Moondark's in here, but it doesn't list any other appearances beside this one. So, I, I don't know if he ever came back, but, you know, if, if I don't even think some of these writers now that dig up these obscure characters because they don't want to, you know, create their own and lose the rights to them, I, I don't even think they dig this guy up. I mean, it's just... You know, this story, I mean, Marvel team-ups were, I mean, you never were going to get the the depth of storytelling that or, or the, the serialized uh, soap opera quite like you were getting in the other Marvel comics, like Amazing Spider-Man or anything like he that. He sort of looks like Doctor Strange, like yeah, jacked up. In that picture, yeah. yeah. Well, we've seen him in color there when we read the black and white. But yeah, he looks kind of like a hippie Doctor Strange in a way. He looks like Dracula mixed with Doctor Strange, mixed with a hippie. 
Well, there you go. There you go. That's, you just described him pretty well, yeah? Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, it, I mean, this story, it could be fun, and there's elements of it are, but it just, the plot holes and the just, the random lack of lo- logic just, it kills it. I mean, even even in this era, it's just, it, you know, a lot of times comics like this, especially team-up books, were fast. They were eating special brownies when they wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you might be right. Yeah, I mean, sorry, but no. I think I think you know something was definitely lost between Conway's plot and Ween Ween's script. And like I said, I love those guys' work, and and they do fantastic. They've done fantastic stuff. This and, isn't it. And entertained me for hours, and I owe them a lot. But yeah, this wasn't their best effort. No, um, you know, it always kind of struck me funny uh, the Werewolf by Night design. You know, with a he he's got on just like the tore up like they're usually green pants. Sometimes it's like a rope belt. It looks just like the Aurora model kit of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. The, the the Aurora, the famous Aurora model kit of the sixties that they still make, you know, versions of every few years now. I mean, it's been in production off and on since nineteen sixty something. He has no shirt on. His ears and stuff are more pointier. The Werewolf by Night looks like it's based off that. So that ties it back into Cheney even more. In this, it says that when Spider-Man stopped him, kicked him through the portal, basically, it stopped the spell. That's yeah. what it says right here. Yeah, well, I mean, it did, but it, you know, I wonder if he ever, who knows if he came back. It just says the first appearance. Okay, well, hope, it, hope it's the only one. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, so of the three horror-related comics we've covered so far, we're, you know, one for... One for two. <laughs> you know, one, one out of three was, was decent. The other two were like, ugh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's still good, you know, if you want to read a spooky story, you know, semi. Well, that wasn't even really spooky. It had no, no atmosphere. I just yeah. thought seeing the werewolf and Spider-Man fight was cool. That's yeah, I mean, that, well, that was well handled. It was cool. Uh, you know, if you're, probably, if you're an old comic fan, you're probably wondering, Chris, why in the world didn't you guys cover the Man-Wolf stories or one of them or something? Well, they did a power records of that, uh, of the the, the two, first two-part with the Man-Wolf. They basically cut out all the other non-essential parts of that story that were like subplot to other, you know, other right. upcoming stories. And they put it in one comic. And at some point on the Power Records podcast, I'm sure Rob and I will cover that. So that's why we didn't cover it here. So... Yeah, you got to share the joy with not only your wife, but your son as well, and made us read this comic. Yeah, he forced me. I was just going to say I read it, but no, he forced me. That's your homework. Yeah, if you want to be on the show, man, you got to do the work, you know? And you got to read the 12 pages There's of notes. There's nine pages of notes. I didn't read. even read them. I just winged it. <laughs> well, as long as you read through them while we're going over them, that's fine. And you've seen, you have seen the Wolfman enough. Andrew's actually got, you know, he he's actually got quite a few Wolfman model kits, model kits, and action figures, and a, and a has been the Wolfman numerous it's, times. He's been the Wolfman several times. My dad actually did makeup on me, and it looked epic. Yeah, we that was more of a like a Werewolf of London type look, but it's it, still freaking awesome. It still were. I mean, you did a you did a good job prowling around in it too, and that was that was when you were like what eight. Yes, eight or, eight or nine. I was a creepy. I was a creepy eight year old. Yeah, that was that was a cool Halloween. And then a couple of years ago, you got a really cool mask. It was just epic, and it fits my head now. My head's grown a lot. Yeah, and uh, he got him. We got him some old green 
uh, almost like work clothes looking outfit from like Goodwill, and he, he wore that, and yeah. he, he really looked the part. It was it was uh, it has a really nice costume and stuff. So uh, yeah, the, the Wolfman's the top monster in his house. So yeah, yep. So best one. Yep. But well, and uh, speaking of monsters, next time on the House of Frankenstein episode, the final episode of Supermates, we're going to cover... The final episode covering Frankenstein. Yeah, well, it's not the final episode. Oh, it's stop bickering, just go on. The final installment of the House of Frankenstein horror series. Oh How's that? Gosh. Much better. In that, we're going to cover a movie that's got all the classic monsters in it. It's not nearly as old as the other ones we've covered, but it's really cool, and I'm sure you guys, most of you people have seen it. The Monster Squad. The Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> yes, Wolfman's got nards. And we'll talk about Wolfman's nards and his other body parts. And, and <laughs> oh my. Favorite scene of the movie. And, and all sorts of other cool stuff, and all the one-liners, and, and just have a lot of fun with that. And a mystery comic that ties in to that we'll keep the mystery going so come back next time and if you got any comments on this one drop us a line at uh, supermatescomic.blogspot.com that is our um, that's our blog you can leave a comment there or you can email us at supermatespodcast at gmail.com or stop by Facebook and leave us a comment there and uh, let us know what you think if you know you suffered through this Marvel team up I'm sorry and we'll be waiting yeah, so uh, we'll be here, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye. 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 Supermates is a Franklin & Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises Worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademark and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners, and we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. The way you walked was thorny through no fault of your own. But as the rain enters the soil, the river enters the sea. So tears run to a predestined end. Your suffering is over. Now you will find peace for eternity.